do this. Uh, I know I usually wave my arms around, but I'm just going to be waving one around. If you could rise for the reading of God's Word, we are in John chapter 5. We're going through John chapter by chapter, verse by verse. John chapter 5. If you need a Bible, please raise your hand. At Calvary Chapel, we like not only to hear the Word of God, we like to see it, something special, something supernatural actually happens when we read, see the Word of God. Does anyone need a Bible? If you don't have a Bible, you may keep your Bible. John chapter 5, verse 1. Anybody else? Bible? John chapter 5, verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethsaida, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Verse 5. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity, that means a sickness, for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he already had been in that condition a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, Rise Take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well. He took up his bed and he walked. And that day was the Sabbath. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and and we're here. Lord, just so much more than just reading words on a page, Lord. We, we, We want the word to change us. We want to be worshipers. We want the word to have its way in us so that we become worshipers. We began this book, Lord, with that verse, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God and became flesh and dwelt among us. Lord Jesus, show us your heart this morning so that we may worship you so that we may rise up and walk with you. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Okay, you may be seated. Hey, Scott, if we could adjust the temperature. I think it's just a little bit too chilly in here. John chapter 5. I want to begin this morning with a reminder about this book that we're reading. 
what it's about, the book of John. Now, the book of John with the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're lumped together usually. Matthew, Mark, and Luke were written relatively soon after Jesus' birth. The impression when you read those books, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, is that they wanted to get the good news of what Jesus did and taught. They wanted to get it out there. They wanted to publish it in writing. You can publish something by talking. You can also publish something by writing. By writing the news about Jesus' life in a comprehensive form, meaning from beginning to end, the whole deal, the whole story. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Now, the book of John, written about 30 or 40 years after Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it reads very differently, and you only have to get six or seven verses into it that you notice it reads very differently. And it has a very different purpose. The Holy Spirit had a very different purpose in publishing it, the book of John. First, John is not only about the book of John, is not only about the facts of Jesus' life and teaching, that it is, but it's also an urgent appeal. This man is 90 years old. Everyone else is dead who had been around Jesus. All the other apostles, John was one of the 12 apostles, they had died. And he lived 20, 30, or 40 years after them. And he saw what had been going on since their death. The book of John is an appeal by the Holy Spirit through John, not only to read about the facts of Jesus' life and teaching, but to believe them. The word believe used 60 times in the book of John. In the book of Mark, the word believe is used only 13 times. In the book of Matthew and Luke, uh, less than 10. In in the book of, of John, 60 times the word believe. And what, did we, what have we learned already about the word uh, believe? Synonymous with the word obey. We have certain things that we think about when we hear the word believe. But we're reminded in the book of James that the devil believes in Jesus and he shudders. Demons believe and they shudder. When John uses the word believe, it goes hand in hand. It's synonymous. It can use inter- be used interchangeably with the word obey. So John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. You will see each page of this book, including here in chapter 5 today, is crying out, listen, listen, you all, you have the facts about Jesus' life. You have the Word. Now believe the Word. You have Matthew, Mark, and Luke. The words about Jesus' life. Don't let those books become dead religious words. Believe the word, obey the word. So John chapter 5, verse 1, 
where we started this morning begins like this. It says, after this. After what? Well, what had just happened in chapter 4? In John chapter 4, Jesus has just healed the son of a rich man, a ruler, an official of Herod, King Herod. And this man had come to Jesus, and in verse 47 of chapter 4, it says, he implored Jesus, he begged Jesus, heal my son. Why? He was at the point of death. What did Jesus do? Verse 48. He looked the man right in the eye and he said, unless you see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. Wow. So we were shocked together when we read this a couple weeks ago. I mean, Jesus said, what? A man whose son is at the point of death begging Jesus to heal him? Jesus looks right at him and says, what? Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And what did we learn from that? We learned that this is, actually just as we just learned from Sonia, this is sometimes, many times, what love looks like. This is an unbelieving nobleman who is on the broad road that leads to hell. For Jesus to simply heal his, uh, this man's son and go on his way and ignore the issue of where this man and his family would be for all eternity would not be loving. Listen, Jesus is willing to talk to you like this at your time of most extreme anguish. Why? Because he loves you so much. He wants a relationship with you that will go well beyond your physical or emotional healing. He wants a relationship with you forever and ever and ever and ever. And we learned what? We learned Jesus wanted the man to believe in what? His word. Jesus wanted the man to obey what? His word. And what happened? The man did. Without seeing a single sign or wonder, without seeing a single miracle, it says the man believed Jesus' word. After Jesus said, you won't believe except you see signs and wonders. What does verse 50 say? Verse 50 says... It says at the latter part of the verse, it says, so the man believed his word. Just a few verses earlier. Very same thing happened in Samaria. John chapter 4, verses 41 and 42. Read them with me, please. Uh, this is the Samaritans. Uh, this is about the Samaritans and Jesus' trip to Samaria. It says in verse 41, and many more believed. Why? Because of his word. Hadn't seen a single miracle. Jesus, at this point, understands, uh, we saw this in John chapter 2, people are believing in his miracles, 
but they remain unregenerate, unborn again. They're going away happily on the broad road that leads to destruction. Without a single miracle, you have a revival in Samaria. And so this man comes to Jesus, asks for a miracle as we should and can do and have the privilege of doing. And and he says, you don't believe unless you see a a, a miracle. And it it says the man, he was obviously cut to the heart. He said he believed his word. Of course, then he returned home. His son was healed. He and all his household believed as a result of it. But then in in John uh, chapter 5, verse 1, it says, After this there was a feast of the Jews. Let's read through verse 9. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five Porsches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, Lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Verse 5. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew what that he had already been in that condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed, and walked, and that day was Sabbath. So let's take a step back and remember why Jesus left the glory of heaven and came to planet Earth. Luke chapter 19 says this. This is Jesus speaking in Luke chapter 19, verse 10. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Each and every one of you here this morning, Jesus sought you out. Do you know that? Do you believe that? Every one of you here this morning, He sought you out. And He sought you out to save you. Now there may be, and I believe there are some here who are not saved, but he he sought you out for the purpose of saving you. In John chapter 4, Jesus, who was Jewish, went to a place that almost all Jews didn't go, Samaria, in order to seek out and save a woman a Samaritan woman, a Samaritan woman who was living with her boyfriend. She had had five husbands, had given up on marriage, given up on life. Jesus sought her out to save her. Here in John chapter 5, Jesus goes to another place where no doubt not only Jews avoided, but everybody avoided it. 
It says in verse 3, there was a great multitude. I believe that word great in the Greek, mega, mega multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed. Let me tell you, people were avoiding that place. Healthy people were. Where's Jesus go? That's where he goes. More than that, what does he do? He's presented with a scene where there's just over-the-top misery, over-the-top need. Not only does he go there, where does he go? He goes to the neediest among them. He goes to the neediest of the most needy. He goes to a man who had been sick for 38 years who couldn't even get himself up to go to the water when there was a rush people believed that when the waters were troubled or moved, there was an underwater uh, source of water. Right here it says there was an angel. Most scholars who I believe um, are reliable don't believe there was an, an angel who went there. There's just verse, the verse there is just really talking about what the people believed. If you look at the whole Bible, God's not into a me against everybody else rush to the water. And so there was a man there had been thirty-eight had been there thirty-eight years, and Jesus goes to that place. And he seeks him out. He came to seek and save that which is lost. Now, I want to pause there for just a moment and say this before we get back to the heart of the message. We come to church on Sunday morning to worship God, to worship Jesus. And the more that we get to know Jesus, the more we will worship him. The more we worship him, the more we live for him. Living for him is worshiping him. We we discover something here about Jesus. Jesus is drawn to the neediest person in the crowd. Now again, one of the ways to worship Jesus is to obey him. And one of the ways to obey him is to imitate him. In John chapter 13, immediately after Jesus had washed his disciples' feet, he said this. He said, I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Now, Christian, I speak to my own heart here as well as yours because I know how hard this is. When you come into a crowd of people, seek out the neediest. That's what Jesus does. When you come to church on Sunday morning, seek out the neediest person in the room. Please, I beg you, please, please don't come in here and say, I know I'm the neediest person in this room. I'm just going to wait here until someone comes to me. (laughs) Oh, you laugh. I hear this type of thing on a regular basis. No one sought me out. Well, you weren't imitating Jesus. You should have been seeking someone else out. 
Jesus said, I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. So Jesus presented with this scene, verse 3, the multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting, futilely waiting. We believe it, I believe, this is just superstition. In verse 7, or rather it says that um, uh, in verse 6, he comes to the neediest among them and asks him, do you want to be made well? In verse 7, the, the sick man answered him and said, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. So what's going on here? Did the man answer Jesus' question? Shout it out. What question did the man answer? He did what you, me, we often do with God. Jesus came to this man and asked him, do you want to be made well? But the man answered a different question. He answered the question, why have you not been made well? That's not what Jesus asked him. Jesus wants to heal this man. He wants to save him. He wants to rescue him from his misery. He wants to save his soul from eternity in torment. But the the man is hung up on why that can't happen. Almost every week, multiple times per week, usually, I'm not exaggerating, someone will come to me miserable with their life, I show them Jesus, and sure don't want to show them me. I show them Jesus, Jesus is the Word, what the Word says, and just as Jesus showed himself um, to this man in, in chapter 5, that's what, I, um, that's what I do with them, and that Jesus will save them from their misery, that Jesus wants to save them from their misery, but all they want to talk about is why that can't happen. I can't get out of pornography. I can't get out of this relationship I know I'm not supposed to be in. I can't love my husband the way the Bible tells me to love him. I can't love my wife the way I am supposed to love her. I can't stop working 80 weeks. Too much opportunity. I can't, uh, 80, rather, I can't stop working 80 hours a week. There's too much opportunity. I can't stop drinking. I can't stop eating. I can't stop smoking. I've tried a thousand times and I just can't stop. And then they proceed to tell me, why they're different than everybody else who has ever believed and obeyed the Word of God. And I want to I assure you, I'm speaking now to my own heart, because I do the same thing. They proceed to tell me, why they're different. They proceed to tell me why their case is different. They proceed to, in the case of husbands, they proceed to tell me why their wife is different than every other woman on planet Earth. That in the case of, of wives, they proceed to tell me why their husband is different than every other man on planet Earth. 
And they resist with all their heart what the Spirit of God is saying to them, pleading with them, crying out to them, certainly what the book of John is crying out to them, believe and obey, obey and believe. Again, in verse 7, well, Jesus at the end of verse 6 says, do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no man to, to put me into the pool when the uh, water is stirred up, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus doesn't give, him up, give up on him here, even though he's answering the why. He's not answering the question. Jesus doesn't give up on him. He's not giving up on you either or me. Jesus said to him, verse 8, rise, take up your bed and walk. Immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. He believed. He believed by obeying. He believed by obeying. In John chapter 6, we'll get to this. Eventually. It says this, Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God. They asked him, what are the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God that you believe in him who he sent. Now, most of us, when, they, when we read this thing, believe, believe in him, believe in Jesus who God sent, we start doing what we should not do. We try to stir up belief. We try to we try, uh, believe, believe, believe. Uh, with people looking at us, whoa, whoa, what's wrong with that guy? What's wrong with that woman? Oh, they're a Christian. Really? Whoa, that's weird. Those people are weird. That's not what he's asking for. He's asking for you to obey. The Bible says a mustard seed of belief is all you need to do. And the Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 1, God has given us all things we need for life and godliness. Belief is a choice. Obedience is a choice. And that's what this man does. He is sought out by the way, had he done anything to deserve this? Had he done anything to deserve this? No, he hadn't. This was grace upon grace upon grace. The Bible says that we cannot be saved by trying to be better than everybody else. He wasn't being better than everyone else. He was just competing with everyone else and losing. Whether we win or lose our competition with every other human being on the face of the earth, we still are far, far short of the glory of God, but of what it takes to go to heaven. The Bible says we only go to heaven, we only enter into a relationship with God by believing the Son who He sent. It's grace. It doesn't cost us anything, it doesn't cost us anything because it costs God so much. We believe, we receive. 
And that's what he does. He, it says he, uh, it says he uh, immediately the man was made well, he took up his bed, and he walked. Now, that, that verse, that little phrase, took up his bed, I, I've always wondered, now, what, what's up with taking up his bed? Now, that's what, probably a mat at the time. Interesting how Jesus makes a point of telling him to take up his bed, and then the Holy Spirit makes a point of saying he actually took his bed up. And, 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 and really wh- where that's going is, is Jesus, when he calls you to himself, he asks you to burn all bridges and follow him. This guy, he didn't want him to leave his bed. I may have returned to his bed. Some of you this morning, he, he's calling you to uh, uh, shut down your computer, get rid of your smartphone, get rid of some friend's in love, who have just been dragging you down. Because if you don't, you're just going to pick it back up again. And so, and so, yeah, am I talking craziness? Well, yeah, but here, here I am. This is what Jesus did. And that's sometimes what we need for a season, is just to, to let things go. 30 years into walking with Jesus... There's a few people who I had to cut off from my life that even today I wouldn't return to them because I'm not strong enough. There's just certain things we need to cut off and move on. So let's continue. Verse 10 says, well, then it says, and that day was the Sabbath. So It says in verse 10 that the Jews therefore said to him who was cured, it is the Sabbath, it is not lawful for you to carry your bed. So you won't find this in the Bible. But what the Jews had done, they had taken the commandment, obey the Sabbath, do no work on the Sabbath, and they had written all kinds of laws defining what was working on the Sabbath, and one of them was carrying a burden. But you and I know full well you can carry something, a burden, and not necessarily be doing work. But it doesn't matter that it could have been well-intentioned or whatever. They wanted to obey God, but they made up all these rules of, uh, of what it meant to, to obey the Sabbath. And, and, and this was like serious stuff. Actually, technically, under the law, you were to be stoned, killed, you violated the Sabbath. So this is a serious situation this person finds himself in. And uh, believe me, as soon as you start doing what Jesus does, people will be uh, talking to you about uh, different things. Verse 10 again, and they said to him, it is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. He answered them, he who made me well said to me, take up your bed and walk. And then they said to him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk. Verse 13, but the one, this is, this is fascinating here. It's also important to the storyline. But the one who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, a multitude being in that place. And so there was a crowd of people at the place where Jesus did the healing. And so there were so many people uh, the guy's healed. He's probably like, this is just unbelievable. He's starting to walk. Jesus goes.
Verse 14. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Don't run over that one, by the way, because I know there's so many in you this morning. I can say the same thing. You have been made well. And you can just declare in your heart, I have been made well. I have been made well, yes. That's what Jesus does. It says, see, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. Again, we read the word of God in order to discover who Jesus is. I quote it all the time. I quoted it a couple weeks ago. Isaiah 43 gives us the purpose of, of our life. It says, God says, everyone who I have created who I have created for my name or by my name, I have created to know me, believe me, and understand that I am he. And so we're getting to know Jesus here. And wow, he tells the guy who comes to him who his son is at the point of death, he says to him, unless you believe, uh, unless you see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. And then he comes to this guy and he says, what? He says, sin no more, lest a worse thing come Upon you. Now, why does he do that? You heard that. Sonia said it prior to me speaking up here. Because he loves you. That's why he says that. But here, there's actually something more going on. This guy doesn't know who Jesus is. (laughs) Jesus had slipped away. He doesn't even know who he is. Now, one thing that that God will not do, he does not do. He's not going to heal someone and heal their body, their physical body, so that they have 5, 10, 20 more years on planet Earth with health, and then for all eternity, they're in judgment. He doesn't do that. No, he seeks him out. And he says, sin no more, lest a worse thing happen to you. There's only one thing that's worse than 38 years of being lame. Suffering for 38 years being lame, and that's eternity being lame. Sin, sin, sin no more, lest a worse thing happen to you. Now, what does that mean, sin? We see the word sin. Ugh. Unfortunately, we, we get wrong ideas of what sin is. I was talking to someone uh, this week, an unbeliever, about um, the Bible. I was presenting the way of salvation. I was using what we use on, on Saturday night. Same presentation. I've been using it now for, for 25 years. And I, was exp- I, I got to a, a place where I was sharing with her about, uh, about, about sin. And that all men, every man, every woman has sin. She, she was my age. And I, said, I, I paused and I said, what, what is sin? What do you think sin is? I was just, I was amazed by her response. I, I love these conversations. It's really scary getting into them. It really is. But once I get into them, I love them. I always learn so much. I said, what is sin? Immediately, she, she says, sin is someone who's having sex outside of marriage. And I was astonished because this person was my age, never had been married, had been sleeping with people outside marriage her whole life. And that's what she said. Why? Because it brought so much misery on her life. But I stopped her and I said, no, no, wait a second. 
I'm not, I, didn't, I didn't ask you for an example of sin. <laughs> I, I want to know what sin is. What is sin? And, and, and she wasn't quite sure how to answer, so I helped her out. I said, sin is just substituting God for, for, for something else. Choosing something else other than God. That's what sin is. It's also falling short of the word of God. But an easier, an easier way to think about it is really it's any time that you're substituting God and replacing him with something else. That's what sin is. And Jesus said to this man, rather he said to this man, he said, sin no more lest a worse thing come upon you. And really what he's telling him, what does the word of God say? It says, says, obey the gospel, repent, be baptized, obey the gospel. And the gospel is what? That God so loved the world, we read it in John chapter 3, verse 16, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Obey the gospel, obey the word. In the beginning was the word, the word was God, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So, so, so Jesus doesn't let this guy just, just somehow heal him physically, slip away from him without telling him the whole deal. Obey the word. Don't substitute God with anything else in your life. Obey him. Seek him. Seek him out. The Bible says, ask and you'll receive. Seek and you will find. Knock on the door and he will be answered. And, the, and Jesus says in John, Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, he says, I knock on the door of your heart. Anyone who opens and comes in, I will come in, I'll dine with him, I'll fellowship with him, I'll have a relationship with him for all eternity. Verse 15, it says, the man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. For this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. Now, this is the beginning, which in the end will will be the cross, will be the crucifixion. This is where all this is headed. This is Good Friday, this Friday, remembering the time that Jesus died on the cross. Why do we call it good? Well, let me tell you, it was much more than good because if he hadn't died for our sin, we would be left in our sin with the judgment and the wrath of God over us. And and so then it says, uh, it says, uh, uh, again, it says, um, they sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath, and apparently they caught up with him because in verse 17, it says this, Jesus answered them, my father has been working until now, and I have been working. And so what he's saying, and we'll just conclude with this, this is all, this healing, this going after the neediest of the needy, this healing him on the Sabbath, this seeking out and saving the lost. This is God. This is the Father. I am proceeding from the Father. And this is all about what the Christian life is. Finding out what God is doing and going and joining it. 
And that's what Jesus says his life is all about. The Father has been working, and I have been working. I'm joining. This is just, this is just what God is doing. What you're seeing is what God is doing. So we're going to close now. I'll ask the worship team to come up. And I'd just like to, to close the time here this morning with the time of worship, with the time of prayer. If you've been asked to pray, if you could please come up as well. And as we're worshiping, as the worship team plays here and shares with us, Let's just reflect on what, we just, on what we just heard from the Word of God. Is God, is Jesus presenting us with His Word and saying, get out of your pain, get out of this place that you're in. Here's the Word, obey it. Only to have you respond with answering why you can't. We don't want to leave here this morning telling God why he can't. You say, well, you don't understand for the last 10 years I've been addicted on this thing. Well, for the last 38 years, this man had been addicted to his own self-pity or whatever. I mean, he, he had had this issue for 38 years. He simply responded to the word. The Bible says it's just a mustard seed of faith saying, yes, I'm going to do it. If, if, if this morning you just want to come up here and pray with me or some of the others here, yes, I believe. Yes, I obey. Come up. Come up. Or you may be here this morning and you've heard the message. You've heard the reason that Jesus came into the world, it was to seek out and save the lost. And you've heard that he's not, he, that the word of God, the word, the word that you, he's telling you to obey says this. It says, I stand at the door of your life and I knock. If you open up, I will come in. Maybe you've never done that. Maybe you've kept your heart shut your whole life. You have, you, you've lived your whole life with, with a throne, a chair inside your heart, with you sitting down on that throne, that chair. You've never gotten up out of that chair, that throne, and said, okay, Jesus, you come on the chair. You come on the throne. You've never done that. Come up. We'll be up here. I'll be up here. We can pray with you. You say, that's kind of scary getting up in front of a whole bunch of people. Yeah, it is, but you know something? Everyone in here who is a follower of Jesus, is, everyone in here has, has made their faith public. That's what Jesus tells us to do. And so if you want to come up at this time, why don't we rise, we'll worship, we'll pray, I'll close in prayer, and then the worship team will begin. Father, in the name of Jesus, I just thank you. I thank you for... Lord Jesus, for being so real to us, so real that you're willing to tell us in our time of greatest need, unless you see a sign and wonder, you will by no means believe. I thank you that 
you'll come to us in our, our greatest time of, of, of anguish and need and, and tell us we need so much more than what we think is hurting us on, and what's hurting us on the outside. There's something on the inside that, that needs major surgery, divine surgery, Holy Spirit surgery, God surgery. I thank you for being like that. I thank you for loving us in that way. Lord, I thank you just for this weekend and the women just being drawn into you. Lord, you did that. You drew them in. We thank you. Lord, as we close out this morning, draw us all in. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.